0: You heard me say I ate too many drugs. I guess that explains why it's high noon for Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm your moderator and be sure to go check out the merch site. At www.cancelcouture.com. Today is the 77th full day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. He is also the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons in the history of the world, Hunter Biden. So congratulations, America. You let everyone know that the most important thing in your life was not to have to think about the guy whose voice you didn't like. But what a Pyrrhic victory it has been, because you still think about him and talk about him every second of the day. I also just want to extend a very warm welcome to whatever redeemable communists are listening to this right now. You have an unsafe space here, but eventually it will pay off. It's like going to the gym. It doesn't feel good unless you're like one of those crazy workout maniacs. But the point is that you do something you don't want to do because it makes you stronger. And then it actually doesn't feel so bad. So take the ride with us, commies. I'm going to turn you back into an American in only four short weeks or something. But until then, I'm going to relentlessly insult and deride your communism because you deserve it. So the Derek Chauvin trial in the George Floyd case is ongoing still and apparently the mainstream media is actually trying to convince people that it's going well for the prosecution and that there's some chance that Derek Chauvin will be found guilty of murder and that seems obviously false for many reasons not least of which is the fact that Derek Chauvin didn't murder George Floyd but that aside Even the prosecution's witnesses are breaking down as soon as they reach cross-examination. And if you're not following along carefully on this, and by the way, just stating up front, this is not the bulk of my attention. I've said before, this trial is, in my mind, almost definitely going to acquit Derek Chauvin. And the truth is, The reality of the situation does not matter. And BLM activists are online talking about how cities are going to burn if he's acquitted. But they're going to go attack cities either way. That's kind of the whole point. They wouldn't all be coordinating and gathering in Minneapolis and elsewhere if they didn't plan on attacking. It's not like. Derek Chauvin would be found guilty and Antifa is just going to go back to their parents' basement and change hobbies. They're domestic terrorists. The thing they do, the thing they like, their hobby, is domestic terrorism. And it's kind of sad that the media has provided them a sheen of moral goodness But that's the situation we find ourselves in. So we are facing a new series of riots no matter what. It's a matter of how quickly the National Guard or the city's police or some other law enforcement agency will shut this stuff down. And recall, these are the same riots that were planned for Trump winning. So these rioters are like six months of blue balls. Maybe Antifa has black balls. Maybe that's the Antifa version of blue balls. They get really frustrated when they can't go (laughs) hit buildings with sticks. (laughs) I can't believe real adults do this shit. They're like afraid of getting caught for weapons violations so they'll like hit things with an umbrella (laughs) it's so ridiculous man it's so ridiculous but you know they're gonna go off and even the things the prosecution thought it would totally win on like the idea that Derek Chauvin's knee was on George Floyd's neck no it wasn't now prosecution witnesses have admitted to that in court that it looks like it's on his shoulder blade I think everyone knows at this point that he died of a fentanyl overdose. The prosecution is not going to be able to prove that he died due to asphyxiation from being restrained. They can't prove that that restraint was not legal. It's literally in the guidebook. So as people like me said last May and June, When we were looking at this stuff intensely, this isn't a murder. The narrative about it has been a lie from the very, very beginning. And that lie was enforced culturally. People still, one year later, believe that lie, though not as many. They have done polling that says fewer and fewer people think that Derek Chauvin actually in any way murdered George Floyd and It should be 100% of the people understanding that he did not, okay? The man said, I ate too many drugs, all right? Also, that whole thing, that whole thing that we were supposed to cry and feel very bad about, how George Floyd was lying on the ground calling out, Mama, Mama. Well, turns out that's how he refers to his girlfriend. That's mama. Kind of doesn't seem like the same thing, right? Doesn't have the same emotional impact. A overdosing drug addict screaming for his codependent girlfriend is not exactly the same as this wrongly accused black man screaming for his mother as his life was snuffed out by a racist cop. That narrative didn't happen at all. And every single element of that narrative breaks down. Now, the one place I can agree with the race baiting communists on this in terms of the logistics of the situation is that there may have been some point there where they should have realized that he was actually having a medical emergency and maybe there's something that they could have done sooner. But that is second guessing something in the moment okay and that's pretending that you have an idea of what was going on in those officers' heads that you simply do not have and the other really problematic part of that is that unless you on no evidence still believe the this is a racist cop killing narrative then the thing about getting medical care earlier breaks down and doesn't make any sense like outside of the race narrative. There's no motivation for a police officer to intentionally allow someone to die under his knee. That makes no sense. Who would think that? I mean, unless they may have known each other or unless this was something to do with concerns about a massive counterfeiting operation being exposed and By the way, that's possible, although not known yet. We do know that George Floyd had counterfeit money. We do know that Minnesota was a place where Chinese counterfeit money was coming in. And we do know that the place he worked was quite possibly a place where that counterfeit money was circulated into people's normal money supply. Going to be harder to find out now because... That place conveniently burned in the George Floyd riot, as did the police precinct with all the records. But even though the mainstream media is completely misleading its readers about this situation, it's important to keep an eye on their narrative because this will be used to justify whatever they're planning to do next And the media has no problem whipping everybody into a frenzy by lying about race again. So it is kind of important to squash these narratives as they come out. And I think I said the name of the website correctly, Legal Insurrection. Um, So they've been doing great coverage, tons of video clips. It kind of is like the uh, Cliff Notes version of what's going on in the trial. And Jack Posobiec's been tweeting about it a lot and linking to their site. So if you forget, or somehow I got the website wrong, just go to uh, Jack Posobiec's Twitter feed. Now, I was noticing yesterday, um, I was watching that that clip that I played the audio of on here, where Anthony Fauci is talking to, is it Willie Geist? Like Joe and Mika's little sidekick on... Morning, Joe. I think it's Willie Geist. But he's talking to Anthony Fauci. And on the screen there, there's a counter of how many people in the United States have been fully vaccinated. So they've gotten rid of the covid death counter because, of course, they don't want people to see that rising while Joe Biden is in office. They do want people to think that a vast majority or a huge proportion, I should say, of this country is getting vaccinated quickly and just loving every minute of it. I mean, that's a big goal. And it really is so weird, as is the conversation that people are having about the vaccine. They look at it as like, like everything else. It's a a part of their brand. They're proud of the fact that they got vaccinated. And I remember back when the yearly release of the iPhone was like a big jump in technology each time. And people would be, so thrilled to let everyone else know that they got the iPhone on the first day. Oh, you didn't get the new one yet? Oh, man, you've got to. Like that kind of thing. That's what the vaccine conversation is now. People just think of it as part of their personal brand. They want to self-identify as virtuous based on the things that they have purchased or done. Like the vaccine passport is... The Tesla of COVID mitigation strategies. Yes, commies, head pats all around. Pat you on the head. Pat, 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 pat. You're very special now. So the other day, a friend of mine sent me a Ben Shapiro podcast. It was the one from Monday. Um, Something about like media propagandists need to be torn down. And of course, I agree. I talk about it all the time. It is odd that Ben Shapiro is the one now saying that. Ben Shapiro failed to object to overwhelming evidence of voter fraud and should still be hammering that point multiple times a week. And instead, he's doing the opposite. During that episode, I actually heard him say that Trump was responsible for the Republicans losing the Senate runoff in January because he, quote, interfered in their election. What? Donald Trump is literally the guy who got all the Republicans around the country elected. If we didn't have so many rhinos and so many corrupt Republicans, if there were actually MAGA candidates across the country, we'd already have the majority back in both the House and the Senate. Of course, if we had a legal and fair election, we would have that as well. But that's beside the point for Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro thinks that Trump cost the Republicans the Senate. Now, I've always thought Ben Shapiro is a fairly smart guy. He certainly has command of his narrative and the information, and then he speaks quickly. So people assume that that's super intelligent, right? He speaks very forcefully, very quickly, and he has command of the thing he's about to say. I have seen him give very, very stupid answers to countless questions over the years, but I've always thought, hey, that's a pretty smart guy. He knows what he's talking about, right? I have to assume that Ben Shapiro cannot possibly believe that Donald Trump cost David Perdue and Kelly Leffler their seats. First off, election fraud cost them their seats. Neither of them would have been in runoff elections, or at least Purdue certainly wouldn't have been, if we had a legal, legitimate, fair election in Georgia on November 3rd, 2020. Now, I don't miss David Purdue or Kelly Leffler, and I also don't think that they would have made a difference. This is a rhino narrative that makes no sense. Like, Oh, yeah, well, we would have been able to stop all these terrible Democrat things. No, you wouldn't. They're talking about killing the filibuster right now. All right. You think they care about your two little Republican votes? You think they don't have 10 Romneys over there who are happy to take the money and switch parties? This is so silly. All the rhino whimpering. Those two Georgia Senate seats don't mean anything. And the idea that we don't have them, we meaning the right generally. That that's Donald Trump's fault. That's madness, man. I've heard people try to make the case that it's Lynn Wood's fault because he basically said there's no point in going out and voting. Knowing your vote will not be counted. But I agree with that. Like if people want to say that Lynn Wood got people to stay home, fine. I encourage people to stay home from that vote, too. You don't participate in a fraudulent system and then allow the members of your own party to feel safe and comfortable that the fraudulent system can stay in place and they can still stay in power. That's what Mitch McConnell wanted. And that apparently is what Ben Shapiro wanted. These are bad priorities. Now, if you're going to tell me that you are pro-globalism and you want to argue in favor of globalism and that how somehow these top-down systemic controls are conservatism or good for the conservative movement. I haven't been a conservative that long, so bring it on. You know what I mean? I would love to hear Ben Shapiro make that argument, but I don't think he will because I don't think he believes that. It seems to me like Ben Shapiro is just tied to establishment Republicanism. And he just wants his people in power. He wants the people who pay him, who advertise with him, who fund him, etc., to get what they want. He wants to, I guess, make sure he never gets kicked off Twitter, which is about the most bitch ass thing you can possibly care about at this point. Like, yeah, the country's falling apart, but I got to make sure that I say the right things for Twitter. I wouldn't want to get in trouble on Twitter by talking about election fraud. That whole Daily Wire crew is suspect to me, always has been. And so is Candace Owens for that matter. That woman should never be president. The idea that people even talk about that and are taken seriously two seconds later is astonishing to me. Candace Owens is not a serious person. Is she doing something beneficial? Maybe. And I'm fine with that. I'm not a hater. But like taking her seriously, come on. Have you ever heard her have pushback in an actual interview? She rarely knows what she's talking about. She's great in friendly interviews because she says all the things like she's saying the, the bold things that are still well within the Overton window. This is just like Bill Maher on the left. For years, he was given so much credit because he was the edgy guy. But again, and this is the same thing with the intellectual dark web. None of these people push the boundaries of what's acceptable. They would rather give away the truth and not stand up for the truth so that they can stay in the conversation. They think that that's a strategy. It's a very stupid one. You think that you are like ceding ground to the communists if you leave Twitter or you leave Instagram. It's not true. Okay, those platforms control what you see, those platforms control what the other side sees. Do you think that they are going to put your stuff regularly in front of people who might then read it, respect it, think about it, and then possibly change their minds? No, they're not going to do that, they will put you out there as a foil so a bunch of psychopath communists can try to hammer at you all day online and make it look to everyone else like you're killing the dragon. They will do that because those communists actually need a foil. This is how they get off. They do this every day. One of the best reasons to leave legacy media is so that they continue to do that After you're gone, because all of their targets will be on their side. Okay? Communism is ultimately an intellectual circular firing squad. All right? They will all come for one another eventually. The only people that get out of that situation are the ones in power in the party who continue repeating the slogans. All right? That's kind of the price you pay for being a communist. You're always a communist or else they'll destroy you. So I've had this conversation with a bunch of friends and they're always like, well, yeah, but you know, I'm trying to get our message out. And it's like, okay, like I appreciate you, right? But it's not ultimately going to work because if you're big enough that you're effective at that, you're going to get banned. And if you're not saying the things that would get you banned, then you're not speaking the truth. You're playing on their field. And I'm not saying that my friends are not speaking the truth. I know that they are, but the system is literally set up to make sure that that message doesn't work. And they own the technology. And by the way, I I'm sure that I've said versions of this before, but I was thinking about it the other day. Like, You got to understand if someone's giving you something for free, they're not doing you a favor. They're getting something out of it. Like we are not Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're not their end consumer. Their end consumer are, first of all, government and intelligence agencies. But also corporations that want to sell you stuff or corporations that want your data. Okay, they are selling your data, and your consumerism to their real clients. People are the product that Facebook makes, all right? Data is the product that Facebook makes. Facebook is a a data factory. They, They mine the data, and then they package the data, and they sell the data. Whose data? Your data. That's why you get off there. You are in an abusive relationship that you are addicted to and you keep telling everybody that the person is really a nice guy. And that if you just do this and this and this, it'll get better. No, it won't. They are trying to (laughs) systematically destroy you and you are staying there so that they can steal more of your data more of your communications, even the private ones, and so that they can continue to monetize you. It's insane. And then the other side of it is that these companies have determined that everyone is so addicted to the attention, to the followers, to the likes, that they'll just stay there and keep taking it and keep providing them with resources. And they do. You know, a lot of people will make a lot of excuses for why they stay on those sites. But if that's you, really take a second and think about like, am I really just depending on this for stimulation or for attention, for validation? Because if that's what it is, that's a you problem. And that's a solvable you problem. You can move to other sites and get the information. You can move to other sites and get your message out. You can also just deal with people directly rather than hoping that they'll see your post and that maybe they'll respond to it. But these commies who are addicted to the central narrative, they don't spend their day considering alternate viewpoints. They see your stuff and they patronize and infantilize you. They think that you've gone crazy or you don't know what they're talking about. They pity you. Because they are so clueless. And you see, I don't pity them. They've been told it's their responsibility now for not changing, for not being better, for not actually searching for the information they pretend to have. But for all of us, like, move on, okay? We had a good decade there, right? Where everybody was getting all the attention, and it was so fun to have all these channels and new voices emerged all over the place. But now it's just propaganda and softcore porn. All right? People are like, oh, well, I stay in touch with my family on there. Well, you know what? They're your family. Find a different way. But back to Ben Shapiro and the whole Daily Wire project. I mean, I'm super glad that they're funding conservative movies um, at this point. And I I don't I really don't wish them ill will. Like, I think that they do some good things. I just don't think that there's any justification for the anti-Trump viewpoint, especially right now. You know, you could ignore that subject completely and still give a better showing than what Ben Shapiro did the other day. The idea that that election was lost because Trump interfered is absolutely bonkers, and I'm guessing he's given the same limp-wristed sort of coverage to the very violent insurrection as well. He probably thinks that's Trump's fault. I bet he tried to be objective about the second impeachment. And by the way, if I'm wrong about any of this, if you're a Shapiro regular listener, you can hit me up and please tell me that I'm wrong. Because I'm the purpose here is not to talk shit about Shapiro. I feel like he is uh, representing a certain point of view that is not America first in any way. It's really only right of center establishment conservatism monetized. Now, since I know we all enjoy a good crossover story of the coronavirus and Hollywood communism, there's a great one from yesterday in Variety. This is by Mark Malkin. Oscar nominees and guests can get essential workers waiver to attend Academy Awards so now actors going to an awards show are deemed essential workers that's incredible Oscar nominees and their guests will qualify as essential workers to attend the upcoming Academy Awards the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences Announced in a letter on Tuesday, those involved in the Oscars production like nominees and their guests, qualify for the essential work purpose waiver and therefore are permitted to travel to and from the testing center rehearsals and academy organized activities during the lead up to the Oscars production, including, of course, the awards show. The letter reads, the organizers of the Oscars are implementing a required quarantine to capture the risk of each person attending the event. Okay. This is already bananas, of course, but there's this one little part, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but Academy organized activities during the lead up to the Oscar production. Now, for sure, that covers press junkets, but it also covers, I'm guessing here, the little swag shops that they set up, you know, brands or stores will set up these little press events so that the actors and actresses will come through and have their pictures taken with different brands products as they're just given free shit all day. So that's probably an Academy organized activity, but I imagine that all the quote unquote official Oscar parties count as this as well because of course, If you can't let the people come to the party, then you can't get the pictures and you can't get the press. So what we have are a bunch of Hollywood actors and their guests being called essential workers so that they can be given free stuff and go to parties and then attend the Oscars, which virtually no one is going to watch. And it's really kind of insulting to anyone who has been called an inessential worker or non-essential worker for this last year, people whose entire industries were shut down forever. And that's still the case in Los Angeles. The number of bars and restaurants that went out of business is shocking. But actors going to award shows and parties and gifting suites are essential workers The craziest part is that if actors were essential workers, this would not even be an essential part of their jobs. (laughs) They're not producing anything by going to these events. Producers have continually maintained that the ceremony is being shot like a movie. So implementing essential worker status follows the protocol for film and television shoots during the pandemic. You got that? As long as rich and powerful Hollywood producers can say that they are shooting the ceremony like a movie, then everybody there is an essential worker. (laughs) They're not filming a live event and broadcasting it. They're, They're making a movie. It just happens to be a live broadcast of a real event where no one's acting, but movie. They're going to they're going to film a a documentary on the Oscars this year, a live documentary that will be broadcast, and then they'll never actually produce the documentary and put it out. But it's already been put out because it was a live documentary. (laughs) If you travel to Los Angeles County from outside of California, you need to self-quarantine for 10 days after you arrive and may not interact with anyone during those 10 days except the people in your household, i.e. people with whom you live. The letter continues. If you travel into Los Angeles County solely for essential work purposes, you still need to self-quarantine when not working for 10 days and may not interact with people other than those necessary to conduct your essential work. Get that? That's a whole lot of rules that don't make any sense and that they're still going to try to enforce anyway because they think they can. They think they can get away with it. They can just strip Freedom after freedom after freedom. And who's going to say anything? Not Hollywood actors. You know, they're not going to stir the pot. And by the way, they're getting paid to say the opposite thing. And to relieve them of the responsibility of having to point out this obvious, ridiculous hypocrisy that they themselves embody. The Academy puts out a bunch of nonsensical rules so that they can say, oh, yeah, well. We've got all that covered. Thank goodness we put all these rules in place so that we don't have to worry about the other principles that we project the rest of the time. What could be more typical Hollywood communist bullshit than this? We're doing all of this so that you can conduct your very essential work. I mean, imagine writing that. How do you feel as a person when you're typing this out that you're telling rich, famous people that you've made it safe for them to conduct their essential work? Like if someone wrote that to me, I would be like, are you being sarcastic? I think we both know this is not essential. They are being talked to as children. Why? because they have child brains. All nominees and guests must have a minimum of two COVID-19 PCR tests performed by the Academy's vendor and a total of three tests in the week leading up to the Oscars. (laughs) What? What's the other test going to be? You can just, it's a wild card. You can do it wherever you want. You can use Mitch Hedberg's roundabout AIDS test. Did you ever hear that one, Mitch Hedberg? By the way, if you're if you're not familiar with his comedy, he is one of the funniest people that ever existed, and I love him. But he he said, he said, man, I just get the roundabout AIDS test. I asked my friend Brian, hey Brian, do you know anybody who has AIDS? And he says no, and I say good, cause you know me. That's the third test. Two PCR tests. At two points, you have to go to the Academy's vendor and have them jam a stick up your nose for no reason and then tell you that, of course, you don't have coronavirus because you don't. And then you got to go get one crazy test. The letter offers travel and testing examples. For instance, someone who flies in from London can arrive as late as April 20th. Oh, it's like a luxury. Testing pre-travel PCR... You will test mail-in in in person on the 19th, we supply, mail-in in person on the 22nd, we supply, and test in person at the JW Marriott on the morning of the 25th. The letter also includes a chart for nominees and guests to best figure out their specific restrictions. Each nominee and their guests must present a travel and quarantine plan to the Academy for approval. Information is due no later than April 8th, with revisions submitted by April 12th. All information will be reviewed by the Oscars COVID consultant, Dr. Aaron Bromage. It will remain private and be destroyed on or before May 10th, the letter reads. Yeah, we wouldn't want to have to investigate that after and then find out that no one actually did it. Reps for the Academy did not comment for this story. Of course they didn't. Hey, why doesn't someone ask, what are you going to do if one of the Best Actress nominees doesn't comply with your bullshit. Are you going to ban her from the show? No, of course you're not. And I know it's too far a leap for the Hollywood communists to even consider, but they should not comply with this. Especially since so many of them brag constantly about being vaccinated. Like, hey, I'm vaccinated. I'm not going to do any of that shit. Oh, yes, you are, commie. See, that's what you signed up for, commie. You took the shot. Didn't do anything. And now you're still under their thumb. Just more under their thumb now. Because you have already raised your hand and said, I will submit. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. And the Oscars have a... COVID consultant. For real, California has regulated itself into creating jobs like COVID consultant. And thank goodness they do, of course, because the CDC is always sending out new rules for COVID. Did you see that? Very subtle segue. I bet you didn't catch it, but here we go. From Yahoo News, this is from Monday, the CDC relaxed its rules on cleaning to prevent COVID-19, saying intense disinfectants are likely doing us more harm than good. Oh, well, now that comes as a surprise. If you're still disinfecting just about everything you own to prevent the spread of COVID-19, it's time to stop. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention updated its guidance Monday for how to clean and disinfect surfaces properly to prevent the spread of COVID-19 at home and in facilities. The agency now says, by and large, good old-fashioned cleaning with soap and water or detergent can protect you against COVID-19 infections just fine. Oh, you know when we also knew that? Last March. You don't need to waste time trying to completely obliterate this virus on surfaces using sprays and disinfectant. In most situations, regular cleaning of surfaces with soap and detergent, not necessarily disinfecting those surfaces, is enough to reduce the risk of COVID-19 spread. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said on Monday during the White House's COVID-19 briefing. Well, it's good that she was able to stop weeping for long enough to give a briefing. I wonder when her sense of impending doom is going to spread. I wonder when it's going to become a reality for all of us, this sense of impending impending doom that she had. She was very scared. She told us all that. It was, you know, only a little over a week ago. And I guess maybe she's, it's not getting worse. It's important to know that, that she's not getting more scared. A growing body of research shows that regular soap and water cleaning is usually enough to wash away this virus and prevent infections. It's more important to worry about wearing a mask in public and avoiding person-to-person spread of COVID-19 through close contact. Well, no, it's not, because masks don't do anything. People can be infected through contact with contaminated surfaces, but I mean, really, the risk is low based on the science, a CDC spokesperson who helped develop the agency's new guidance told Insider. And I guess that Yahoo is just reprinting Business Insider. Yahoo doesn't have their own news, apparently, it seems. Every time you read a Yahoo News article, it's from somewhere else. And skipping down a bit, we have the CDC accidentally red-pilling communists without knowing it from the article. What's more, the CDC says there's no good evidence that alternative disinfection methods like UV radiation, LED blue lights, or sanitizing tunnels really work to kill the virus. Oh, I thought that those things weren't even things that existed. So when Trump was talking about injecting disinfectants, he wasn't talking about a UV light therapy that was being studied and developed at Cedars-Sinai right when he said that and he had just been briefed about it. Or was he? Oh, so that thing does really exist. Oh, so people who told me that at that time, they were actually telling me the truth and not just trying to cover for Trump. Oh, that's weird fucking communists, man. It's incredible how many communists still think that Trump was telling people to inject bleach. Many so-called disinfectants made specifically for electronics aren't fully effective against the coronavirus either, since they contain alcohol to dry quickly. Disinfectants usually need to stay wet for several minutes to take full effect. Oh, so nobody has ever used a disinfectant correctly. Is that what you're saying? If you are going to disinfect, the CDC says read the product label first. Follow the manufacturer's instructions for safe use and wear gloves. (laughs) So wait, shouldn't you have already been wearing gloves for the coronavirus? Weren't we told that that was smart? I actually like drove through a Starbucks drive through the other day and the woman in the car in front of me, she reached out the window to get her coffee and she was wearing plastic gloves. Driving in the car by herself. And at that point, you just think, oh, yeah, yeah, there are definitely people in the world who would believe that communism is a good idea. (laughs) Shit is so stupid, man. Gloves in your car by yourself. You're worried about the cup. You're worried about touching the cup, the cup you're about to drink out of. Because the person who just handled your coffee and that cup might have COVID but your gloves are going to save you. Okay, genius. And at the same time, the WHO has now said that you have a 1 in 10,000 chance of getting the coronavirus from a surface. So a 1 in 10,000 chance, and then only 2 in 1,000 people might die from COVID, nearly all of them being 75 or older with multiple comorbidities, And nearly 80% of them being obese. Got it. It's amazing it only took them a year to find out that you're not going to get coronavirus from a surface, even though they have known that the whole time. It's incredible how little they think of their own arguments and how little respect they have for people's Autonomy and people's independent thinking, because if the arguments they were making were good, then they could just be honest and try to convince smart people of the truth of their arguments. But they don't do that. They haven't tried to do that at all. They understand that whatever they say, the communists are going to lap it up and obey. So why even bother making real arguments? And of course, they don't see the need, so they don't do it. But what they will do is eventually take a piece of the narrative and be like, oh, we don't need that anymore. So we're just going to let the communists know that that's not true. And these communists do not take on this new information and think, oh, I don't have to worry about that anymore. They continue to think, well, you know, I understand that that's what the science says, but better safe than sorry. Oh, so you can not agree with the science as long as you still get to embody your fear. Perfect. And the best part is that if anyone points out to you, hey, that actually doesn't do anything. Even the CDC and the WHO say that you can still say to them, yeah, but I'm trying to save everybody else's lives. What are you doing? Oh, you don't care about everyone else's lives. My motto is better safe than sorry. Apparently you are willing to take risks with everyone else's lives. So yeah, sure. Listen to the CDC and the WHO and don't disinfect anything anymore. But I'm going to just, I'm going to keep doing me and keep saving people left and right because I'm a superhero. Now look at my gloves. They're part of my superhero uniform. And like every superhero, I also have a weakness. My weakness is... Sometimes I like to go hang out, but only in, only in my pod, only in my pod, this group of six or eight friends in my pod, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's eight. And sometimes the members change, but like, we're all in a pod. We talk about how we're in a pod together. Like we're all in each other's pod. And yeah, I mean, we all have, you know, a couple of different pods and some of the members have multiple pods. We don't know those people, but I'm telling you that the people I'm hanging out with right now, these 10 people or six people or eight people or 10 people, it's 10 people. They're all in my pod. So we're safe together, even if we don't follow any of the guidelines we enforce on other people, because we call ourselves a pod. (laughs) People really do this. They really do this. They think that they are quarantined with other people. The idea that They only see a certain amount of people, but otherwise they don't see anyone. And that to them counts as quarantine because, of course, now anything counts as quarantine. Actors pretending to stay at home for 10 days, that's a fully successful quarantine. They're not going to do it. They're going to have their little pod. They're going to be taking their test and they're going to be saying to each other, yeah, you know, but we just got tested like we obviously don't have it, so whatever we can hang out in our pod. Every one of those people should internalize the truth, which is that they are liars. All right. They're liars. They lie constantly about the things that they say are the most important. They lie about their jobs. They lie about their work. They lie about their politics and they definitely lie about what they do to mitigate COVID risk, it's just another example of people doing this thing for show to be able to reap the social credit and the moral reward from for standing up for the thing, for the party, for repeating the party's slogans. That's what they want. It doesn't actually matter what the actions are because people are no longer judged on actions if you're in the party of false decorum or if you're a communist which are the same thing, roughly. It's come to the point where actions are no longer moral signifiers. It really is just repeating the slogans. So if you post the right things about Black Lives Matter and you post your COVID shot, and of course, yes, you influencer, you're getting paid, I understand. You don't have to do it for free. Don't worry. Yes, I know you had a show on the CW a few years ago. You're very important. Got it, okay? Gave you all the things. Actions don't matter anymore. Telling the truth doesn't matter. Doing research doesn't matter. Treating other people well doesn't matter. Standing up for the rights of everyone doesn't matter. You don't actually have to do any of those things. You just have to repeat the slogans. And then if you're the sort of person who has repeated the slogans enough times, you actually get to do whatever you want, no matter how morally reprehensible. And you still get to stay in the party of false decorum because they'll... People will actually make the argument, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know if I don't know if I believe those those women who credibly said that they were accused by Andrew Cuomo because, you know, he was just so good in those first few months of coronavirus at communicating to people like us. He was doing such an important job, you know, so I just can't imagine that he's a bad guy. And so Andrew Cuomo gets a free pass for being in the party. And then you flip to Matt Gates, and you have these same Hollywood communists saying that Matt Gates is like some predator or rapist, even though they have not only no evidence of that whatsoever, there isn't even an accuser. OK, there is only a blackmail operation that is front and center. The dude was on Chris Cuomo's show the other night talking about it. This guy, Bob Kent. Look it up and watch it. Raheem Kassam actually tipped me off to this on his podcast, which is always great. The guy is sitting there describing for Chris Cuomo how he wanted this deal to go down. And the deal I'm referring to is a deal so that Matt Gates would help them retrieve a man named, I believe, Robert Levinson from Iran. This guy disappeared 14 years ago. They think he's alive and they think they can get him back. So they wanted $25 million from Matt Gates to help with that project. And in return for his help, they would make sure that none of these allegations ever got out. Did they substantiate the allegations at any point? No, they did not. They basically just said, hey, we're going to need you to do this for us. And if you do, then we're not going to... Tell the rest of the world this thing that we're going to say about you, whether or not it's true. And then the New York Times today was reporting that Matt Gaetz went to Donald Trump for a full pardon for this thing. Donald Trump put out a statement today stating very clearly that Matt Gaetz never asked him for that ever. So once again, we have fake story, fake news covers the fake story which then makes it a real story because they'll report on how news outlets had asked someone around Congressman Gates, for instance, a question that that person didn't answer. So now the story is that people around Matt Gates refuse to answer questions about the incident. You see how that works? And then because of that, they need the government to come in and investigate. That's what they do when you're not in the party. So switching gears without a segue. On Monday, the Border Patrol put out a press release about two Yemeni men who were detained at the border and who had been previously on terror watch lists. Then the fake Biden regime had that press release taken down, which is incredible, again, just the level of incompetence to get this thing taken down. So not only do they now publicize the original story, they also publicize their communist speech control. Two Yemeni men arrested by Border Patrol identified on the FBI's terrorism watch list. U.S. Border Patrol agents assigned to the El Centro sector arrested two Yemeni men within the last two months that were identified on a terrorism watch list. The first event occurred on January 29th at approximately 1.10 a.m. when agents assigned to the El Centro station arrested a man for illegally entering the United States. Agents apprehended the man approximately three miles west of the Calexico Port of of entry and transported him to the El Centro Processing Center for Immigration and Criminal History Screening. Agents conducted records checks, which revealed that the man, a 33-year-old illegal alien from Yemen, was on the FBI's terrorism watch list as well as the no-fly list. Additionally, agents found a cellular phone SIM card hidden underneath the insole of his shoe. The man was transferred to the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The second incident occurred on March 30th at approximately 1130 p.m. when agents assigned to the El Centro station arrested a man for illegally entering the United States. Agents apprehended the man approximately two miles west of the Calexico port of entry and transported him to the El Centro Processing Center for Immigration and Criminal History Screening. Agents conducted records checks, which revealed that the man, a 26-year-old illegal alien from Yemen, was also on the FBI's terrorism watch list and the no-fly list. The man is being held in federal custody pending removal. Part of the Border Patrol's mission states that we will protect the country from terrorists, said Chief Patrol Agent Gregory K. Bovino. Today, like every other day, our agents did that. These apprehensions at our border illustrate the importance of our mission and how we can never stop being vigilant in our everyday mission to protect this great country. So the Biden administration had that taken down. Is there anything in that that you find offensive or objectionable or irrelevant. That's all extremely important information and given to you as straightforwardly as it can be. I also read this morning that one of those guys had actually been captured the same way before and deported and now has come back. There are terrorists coming across that border pretending that somehow wanting a secure border is racism. That's absolute madness. Okay. And it's not good enough anymore to just be like, oh yeah, well they call everything racist and blah, blah, blah. And then you embrace their side of the argument. No, they are literally compromising the physical safety of every American By doing this, do you know where the next terrorist attack is going to be? I don't. By the way, they are also bringing in COVID. But the same people are saying that all of this is fine. So long as actors will quarantine before attending the Oscars. That is a measure to keep all Americans safe. This, this is just them being nice about racism. And of course, the usurper pretending to be president and the usurper pretending to be vice president and everyone in that fake regime, they are all feckless in doing anything about this. They ignore the problem. They deny that it exists and they're doing nothing to solve it. Whatever the purpose of this fake administration is, it's certainly not concerned with keeping Americans safe. And now finally. Let's see what's happening with Brad Jordy Raffensperger. And for this, we're going to go to the former conservative institution, the National Review, that now makes Ben Shapiro's establishment Republicanism look edgy. That's how much the National Review has fallen off. And sadly, it's under Rich Lowry's leadership. And all of the editors there should be fired even fucking Charles C.W. Cook, who I have always loved. But the National Review product now is god-awful. So they actually published an op-ed written by Brad Raffensperger. This is yesterday in the afternoon. The title of the op-ed is Setting the Record Straight on Georgia's New Voter Access Law. And the subheading is Ignore the Partisan Disinformation. Georgia remains a national leader in voting access and election security. And what else would you expect Brad Geordie Raffensperger to say? What is most incredible about what has happened over the past week in Georgia is the speed with which liberal politicians and their allies went from condemning election disinformation to wholeheartedly spreading it. If we were not so used to the hypocrisy, it might have given us whiplash. Now. I'm sure that Brad Jordy Raffensperger is very upset about all of the communists in Georgia. I mean, he did sign the consent decree with walking election fraud machine Stacey Abrams. And there is now audio of a leaked phone call where Brad Raffensperger is thanking the Chinese in Chinese for supporting him in a race from a few years back. So, yeah, Brad, I think we all have a bit of whiplash. Case in point is Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock in a fundraising email sent soon after SB 202, Georgia's new voter access law, was passed. He falsely accused Georgia Republicans of waging, quote, a massive and unabashed assault on voting rights, end quote, by, quote, ending no excuse mail voting and, quote, restricting early voting on weekends. I realize that Senator Warnock is a new lawmaker, but he should at least read the bill in question before tossing out completely false claims. SB 202 leaves no excuse absentee voting in place and expands early voting in Georgia by mandating an additional day of weekend voting in all Georgia counties. It also continues Sunday voting in counties that want it. Now, all of those things suck. But Brad Geordie Ravensburger is giving a correct accounting of what's actually in the bill. Not to be outdone, President Biden alleged that SB202's new photo ID number requirement for absentee ballots will, will, quote, effectively deny the right to vote to countless voters. He should tell that to the majority of Georgia voters, Georgia Democrats, and black voters in Georgia who supported the common sense effort. Studies show that voter ID laws don't decrease turnout. Georgia's voter turnout numbers and percentages have hit records repeatedly since we introduced photo ID for in-person voting. Well, Okay, but the reason they went up so much is because you have hundreds of thousands of fake votes, Brad. In his statement, Biden also alleged that the new law ends voting hours early. Even the left-leaning Washington Post agreed that wasn't true, giving the claim four Pinocchios and saying there's no evidence that this is the case. The reality is that Georgia remains a national leader in access to the polls. Yes, some people It gives the access of, let's say, 1.24 people. Georgia has the most successful automatic voter registration program in the country, according to Stacey Abrams. (laughs) Automatically registering eligible voters through the Georgia Department of Driver Services, which confirms citizenship prior to registration, makes it easier for eligible voters to vote and ensures that election officials have accurate, up-to-date information. Notably, President Biden's home state of Delaware does not offer this to voters. That's probably because Delaware doesn't need voter fraud the same way that Georgia does. Stacey Abrams is pushing for just 15 days of early voting below the 16 days Georgia had offered its voters for years. SB 202 has built on that, requiring 17 days of early voting at minimum, including two Saturdays. By contrast, Abrams recently praised New Jersey for having nine days of early voting. If more access is better, how is nine days praiseworthy but 17 suppressive? Ditto for President Biden. His home state of Delaware doesn't offer any early voting. And though Georgia voters can request an absentee ballot without explanation, President Biden's home state of Delaware still requires an excuse. It's odd that Brad is now trying to portray himself as opposed in some way to Stacey Abrams. He's not. President Biden, Senator Warnock and other critics of Georgia's new law care more about whipping up outrage among their base than talking about actual policy. If they look at the facts, they discover that SB 202 makes some common sense adjustments following an election stressed by the covid-19 pandemic. Well, no, Brad, it was stressed by your corruption and your governor's corruption and Stacey Abrams being a walking election fraud machine. The legislation moves Georgia from the subjective signature match identity verification process for absentee ballot voting to objective ID numbers from photo IDs, free photo IDs or other documents. I introduced this concept last year with the absentee ballot request portal, and it won bipartisan praise. With such close elections, moving to an objective standard takes pressure off our local election officials. Oh, yeah. Well, it also allows you to just make extra voters whenever you want. It is also convenient for voters. Over 90% of Georgia's voters have a driver's license number associated with their voter registration record. What are the other 3%, Brad? To ensure voters actually get their absentee ballots in time to cast them, SB 202 puts reasonable deadlines in place for receiving absentee ballot applications and sending out absentee ballots and moves Georgia closer in line with other state timelines. The massive increase in absentee ballots last year stressed Georgia's election system. Over 500,000 people requested an absentee ballot, but showed up in person anyway. This slowed down in-person voting and increased the possibility of double voting. Oh, so you're saying that absentee voting actually is a huge problem and that it makes election integrity harder and that it makes voter access in person harder. Are you also saying that you reduced the number of polling places because of the reliance on mail-in voting? Oh, you are. And that's something I started talking about when? Oh, last June, because this was a completely obvious result of what they were doing. And you knew it would be because that's why they were doing it. None of this was for the pandemic. We are not children. And just to hammer that home, because I haven't said it in a while, but Anthony Fauci in August of last year said it was safe to go vote in person and that if you could run your errands, without fearing the virus, then you could certainly go vote. The CDC came out and said on election day that even if you had an active coronavirus infection, it was still important for you to go vote. Okay, so that's Fauci and the CDC, both expressing that in-person voting would not be a problem, and of course it was not. But the solution proposed by communists and accepted by Brad Raffensperger and Stacey Abrams actually did make the election function worse. Brad Raffensperger just said that. Okay. It's not me saying that. He just said it in his own words because he thought he was making a different point. SB202 takes steps to cut down voting lines. If voters have to wait more than an hour on Election Day, the relevant county has to add voting equipment or split the precinct if there are too many voters assigned to that precinct. Oh, really? Well, that was never a problem before this past year. Get more machines, Brad. Oh, the machines are expensive because you have you, you made a Dominion contract. Oh, got it. So you only have a certain number of machines and you need to consolidate those machines into venues that are fully controllable by your corrupt election infrastructure. Got it. The bill directs voters to cast ballots in their assigned precincts, eliminating the extra steps for processing out of precinct voters that lead to long lines. Ah, yeah, of course, that was the problem. People didn't know where to go to vote. Unbelievable, man. They will just come up with justifications for anything. The bill also takes steps to minimize the voter confusion that undermines integrity in elections. SB 202 requires third-party groups to clearly identify who they are on absentee ballot applications they send to voters. My office received countless calls from individuals who thought they were sent several absentee ballots because third-party organizations kept sending request forms. Oh, is that why, Brad? SB 202 codifies the early processing of absentee ballots to allow for quicker posting of results and more transparency. It also requires counties to publish the total number of absentee ballots they received during the election soon after the polls closed to avoid the perception that ballots came in after the deadline. Oh, yeah. So it's just a perception that ballots came in after the deadline and they weren't actually delivered after the deadline and they weren't processed continually under no supervision after the deadline. And they didn't pull out bags of ballots from under tables and then process those after the deadline. That didn't happen, even though it's on video. SB202 clarifies that giving away food or drink within 150 feet of a polling place is considered campaigning and is not allowed. The polling place should be a place where voters are free from pressure and influence and can cast their vote in peace and confidence. Perhaps unsurprisingly, there is little controversy about the same rules in New York on which Georgia's legislature modeled their own provision. Never mind that if outraged groups were truly interested in making sure waiting voters got water, they would be more than satisfied with giving the water to the poll manager to distribute as allowed by SB 202. These groups can also just stand 25 feet away from voting lines and 150 feet from the precinct and let voters come to them. So knowing this, maybe fake President Biden might want to reassess his claims about the water unless he's going to claim that black and brown people who can't get ID and can't figure out how to use the Internet also are not aware that if they are dying from thirst, they can walk 25 feet away. They must think that the person has to bring it to them. Is that it? They don't know enough to go cure themselves with water from their deathly thirst. The bill also includes more practical measures that will help smooth election administration. Counties can now hire poll workers from neighboring counties if needed. And if the neighboring county has enough of their own staff, it also requires political parties to train their poll watchers on relevant laws and regulations. Well, that sounds to me, Brad. Like you're going to export the Fulton County election fraud system everywhere else. By just simply using those same election workers, but spreading them out, because, of course, the county with the whole population where you're going to create all your election workers, that's the county with the big population. So they're going to have enough. So then we can just ship communists around the state to do the job for them. If these things sound like common sense solutions, that's because they are. SB 202 will increase confidence in our election system, ease the burden on local election officials, and expand access to the polls. If the bill seems different from the way it has been described in the media, that's because the critics are misrepresenting it to spin up outrage and fundraise off their base. Now, ease the burden on local election officials, that sounds like you are trying to centralize power and authority and at the same time dilute accountability. Have we seen that pattern before? Yes. Where? Everywhere. After the 2020 election, we should all be able to agree that spreading disinformation about elections is wrong. Instead, the liberal outrage machine is running at full steam on SB 202, putting fundraising over facts. But I know better than most that truth matters in elections. I'll keep telling the truth about our election systems, even though I know President Biden, Senator Warnock and Stacey Abrams care more about money and partisan outrage. Oh, yes. Angel Brad Geordie Raffensburger coming down to save us. I know better than most that truth matters in elections. That is preposterous. This guy, this guy is the guy who calls Trump a liar. Really beautiful work, Brad Jordy Raffensburger. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and parlor at I'm your moderator. Soon I'll be up on rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'mYourModerator.substack.com, I'm your where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching be reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app.